Chapter Twenty Eight of The Precipice by Ivan Goncharov, translated by M. Bryant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In Tatiana Markovna's house, servants, cooks, and coachmen were all astir, and at a very early hour in the morning were already drunk. The mistress of the house herself was unusually silent and sad when she let Marfinka go with her future mother-in-law. She had no instructions or advice to give, and hardly listened to Marfinka's questions about what she ought to take with her. "'What do you like?' she said absently, and gave orders to Vasilisa and the maid who was going with Marfinka to Kolchina to put everything in order and pack up what was necessary." She handed over her dear child to Marfa Yegorovna's charge, at the same time pointing out to Marfinka's fiancé that he must take the greatest care of her, and that in order not to give strangers a wrong impression, he must be more dignified and must not chase about the garden and the woods with her as he did in Malinovka. When she saw that Vikentiev colored at this advice, which indicated doubt of his tactfulness, and that Marfa Yegorovna bit her under-lip. Tatiana Markovna changed her tone, she laid her hand on his shoulder, calling him dear Nikolinka, and telling him that she knew herself how unnecessary her words were, but that old women like to preach. Then she sighed and said not another word to her guests before their departure. Vera, too, came to breakfast, she looked pale, and it was clear that she had had a sleepless night. She said she still had a headache, but felt better than she did yesterday. There was no change in Tatiana Markovna's affectionate manner to her. Now and then Marfa Yegorovna cast questioning glances in Vera's direction. What was the meaning of pain without any definite illness? Why did she not appear yesterday until after dinner, and then only for a moment, to go out followed by Tushin. What had they found to say to one another for an hour in the twilight? Being a sensible woman, she did not pursue these inquiries, though they flashed for a moment in her eyes, nevertheless Vera saw them, although they were quickly exchanged for looks of sympathy. Neither did Marfa Yegorovna's questioning glances escape Tatiana Markovna, who kept her eyes on the ground while Vera maintained her indifferent manner. Already people are wondering what had happened, thought Tatiana Markovna sadly. On my arms she came into the world. She is my child, and yet I do not know what her trouble is. Raisky had been out for a walk before breakfast, and wore on his face a look as if he had just come to a decision on a momentous question. He looked at Vera as calmly as at the others, and did not avoid Tatiana Markovna's eyes. He promised Vikentiev to come over to see him in a day or two, and listened attentively to his guest's conversation about hunting and fishing. At last everything was ready for their departure. Tatiana Markovna and Raisky went with their guests as far as the Volga, leaving Vera at home. Vera's world had always been a small one. 
and its boundaries were now drawn more narrowly than ever she had been contented during the long years with the observation and experience which were accessible to her in her immediate environment her small circle represented to her the crowd she made her own in a short time what it took others many years in many places to learn unlike marfinka she was cautious in her sympathies granting her friendship only to the priest's wife and to tushin whom she openly called her friend the simple things and the simple people who surrounded her did not serve only trivial purposes she understood how to embroider on this ordinary canvas the bold pattern of a richer life with other needs thoughts and feelings she guessed at these by reading between the lines of everyday life other lines which expressed the desires of her mind and heart if she was cautious in her sympathies she was excessively so in the sphere of thought and knowledge she read books from the library in the old house taking from the shelves at first without choice or system as a pastime whatever came into her hands then she began to experience curiosity and finally a definite desire for knowledge she was keen-sighted enough to understand how aimless and unfruitful it was to wander among these other minds without any guiding thread without making direct inquiries she procured some explanations from kozlov and although she understood many things at a bound she never let it be seen that she had any knowledge of things beyond her immediate circle without losing sight of kozlov's instructions she read the books once more to find that they meant much more to her and that her interest in them was steadily increasing at the request of the young priest natasha's husband she brought him books too and listened when he expressed his views on this or that author without herself adopting the seminarist view later on she came into contact with mark who brought a new light to bear on all that she had read and heard and known his attitude was one of blank denial no authority in heaven or earth weighed with him he despised science as it had hitherto developed and made no distinction between virtue and crime if he thought that he would soon be able to triumph over vera's convictions he was mistaken she regarded these bold and often alluring ideas with shy admiration without giving herself up blindly to their influence she listened cautiously to the preaching of the apostle but found in it neither a new life nor happiness nor truth and though she followed attentively what he had to say it was only because she was drawn on by the ardent desire to find the reality that lay behind mark's extraordinary and audacious personality mark displayed his unsparing negation enmity and scorn against all that men believe love and hope for vera did not agree with all she heard because she observed the malady that lay concealed behind the teaching even if she could not discover where it lay her columbus could show her nothing but a row of 
open graves standing ready to receive all that by which society had hitherto existed vera remembered the story of pharaoh's lean kine which without themselves becoming fatter devoured the fat kine mark would have despoiled mankind of his crown in the name of wisdom he would acknowledge in him nothing but an animal organism and while he denied man in man denied him the possession of a soul and the right to immortality he yet spoke of his strivings to introduce a better order of things neglecting to observe that in accordance with his own theory of the chance arrangement of existence by which men herd together like flies in the hot weather such efforts were useless granting the correctness of his ideas as a premise thought vera there can be no sense in striving to be better kinder truer and purer if this life enduring only for a few decades is the end of all things when she looked deeper into the matter and examined the new truth taught by the young apostle the new conception of good and the new revelation she saw with astonishment that what in his talk was good and incontrovertible was not new that it was derived from sources from which others also drew who certainly did not belong to the new society she recognized that the seed of the new civilization which he preached with so much boastfulness and such a parade of mystery lay in the old-fashioned doctrine and for this reason she believed more firmly than ever in the older philosophy of life she looked on mark's personality with such suspicion that she gradually withdrew herself from his influence hideously disturbed by his audacity of thought she had even gone so far as to tell tatiana markovna of this accidental acquaintance with the result that the old lady told the servants to keep a watch on the garden but volokov came from the direction of the precipice from which the watchmen were effectually kept away by their superstitious fears mark himself had noted vera's distrust and he set himself to overcome it he was the more easily able to accomplish this because when her interest was once awakened she met him halfway imperceptibly to herself she meditated carefully on the facts that made up her life her mind was occupied by new questionings and for that reason she listened more attentively to his words when she met him in the fields often they went out walking on the banks of the volga and eventually found a meeting-place in the arbor at the bottom of the precipice gradually vera adopted a more active role in their intercourse she wanted to convert him to lead him back to the acceptance of proved truth the truth of love of human as opposed to animal happiness of faith and hope mark gave way in some things though only gradually his manners became less eccentric he was less provocative in his behavior to the police than before he lived in a more orderly fashion and ceased to stud his conversation with cynical remarks the change pleased vera and this was the cause of the happy excitement 
that Tatiana Markovna Andraisky had remarked in her. Since her influence was effective even if only in what affected his external life, she hoped by incessant effort and sacrifice gradually to produce a miracle. Her reward was to be the happiness of being loved by the man of her heart's choice. She flattered herself that she would be introducing a new strong man into society. If he were to show himself in wisdom and strength of will, simply and reliable as Tushin was, her life was mapped out for her. While she was engaged in these efforts, she allowed her passionate nature to be carried away by his personality. She fell in love, not with his doctrine, which she refused to accept, but with himself. He called to new activity, but she saw in his appeal nothing more than the lending of forbidden books. She agreed with him that work was necessary, and herself avoided idleness. She drew up for herself a picture of simple, genuine activity for the future, and envied Marfinka because she understood how to make herself useful in the house and the village. She intended to share these labors with her sister when once the stiff battle with Mark had been brought to a conclusion. But the struggle was not to end with a victory for either one or the other, but with mutual overthrow and a permanent separation. These were the thoughts that passed through Vera's mind while Tatiana Markovna and Raisky were accompanying their guests and Marfinka as far as the Volga. What was the wolf doing now? Was he enjoying his triumph? She took from her letter case a sealed letter on blue paper which she had received early that morning and looked at it thoughtfully for a minute before she threw it down with its seals unbroken on the table. All her troubles were submerged in the painful question, what would become of her grandmother? Raisky had already whispered to Vera that he would speak to Tatiana Markovna that evening if she were alone, and that he would take care that none of the servants should have the opportunity of seeing the impression which the news was bound to make on her. Vera shivered with foreboding when he spoke of these precautions. She would have liked to have died before evening came. After her talk of past events with Raisky and Tushin, she recovered something of her usual calmness. A part of her burden was gone now, that, like a sailor in a storm, she had lightened the ship of some of its ballast, but she felt that the heaviest load of all still lay on her conscience. It is impossible to go on living like this, she told herself, as she made her way to the chapel. There, on her knees, she looked anxiously up at the holy picture, as if she expected a sign. But the sign she longed for was not granted, and she passed out of the chapel in despair as one who lay under the ban of God. End of chapter 28